1: It's the California Report magazine, and this week on our show, why our state's vaccine rollout has been so confusing.
2: Congratulations, you qualify to have the vaccine now. Where can you get it? Okay, here we go. Where do you go? (laughs) No appointments.
1: And a third grade poet from San Jose tells us how to stay hopeful as the pandemic grinds on. To find hope, we need
2: vaccines. We all have to take them, you and me. AstraZeneca, Moderna and Pfizer, also wearing a mask and using hand sanitizer.
1: Plus how a young man in ICE detention in Yuba County who got sick during a COVID outbreak is trying to improve conditions inside the jail. Despite the fact that he has just never been able to catch a
0: break in life, he still has this really generous heart where he wants to help other
1: people. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. We're almost coming up on a year since many of us have been stuck inside at home. And if you live with roommates, that space can feel smaller and smaller as time goes on. But what happens when roommates have different ideas about what it means to be safe during COVID. Well, that's exactly the question my colleague Aditi Bandlamudi has been wrestling with. She usually reports on Silicon Valley for the California Report and KQED, but today she's going to bring us a first person account of what it's like being a millennial with roommates she never imagined she'd be stuck with.
3: The beginning of the pandemic was okay, but not without its hiccups. I live with two roommates, one roommate, let's call her Neha. Well, her boyfriend moved in unannounced in March, and he's still here. But we made it work. I would make coffee for everyone in the mornings. We created a more comprehensive cleaning schedule. We generally kept to ourselves, and it was fine. Then the holiday season hit, and Neha wanted to party. For about two days around Christmas, I would randomly hear strangers in our apartment having drinks and playing board games. No masks. Around that same time, I was getting concerned about my 89-year-old grandfather's health. He lives nearby. So, uh, so I'm not going out
4: at all. You you are so near, so far now.
3: <laughs> but I know. Mm-hmm. I know. I was hoping to help take care of him, but I had just been exposed to a whole party of strangers. I confronted Neha. She said her friends got tested regularly and that she was being very safe. Still, she agreed to stop hosting parties. But the very next night, I heard a group of unfamiliar voices in the apartment. It was another party. About five men, all unmasked, all Neha's friends, throwing darts and drinking cocktails. I was furious. The next morning, I confronted her boyfriend about the party. Again, the same excuse. They tested regularly, they're socially distancing, and they couldn't say no. We're Indians. If somebody comes to our house, we can't just turn them away. A few days later, I started showing symptoms for COVID. And on January 3rd, I tested positive. A day later, Neha's boyfriend started showing symptoms, and then she did. Like dominoes. I was incredibly fatigued, unable to get out of bed for a week. I lost my sense of smell, and my taste was dulled. My body ached. I got a fever, and I still have a cough that lingers. I was so mad. I sacrificed seeing my own family over the holidays to avoid COVID, but got it anyway from my negligent roommates. I wanted to understand how they could be so cavalier, so I turned to an expert. Baruch Fischhoff is a psychologist at Carnegie Mellon University. He studies how people assess risk. And he says usually people are pretty good at noticing patterns, understanding what's dangerous and then acting responsibly.
0: So people record the frequency of things that they've seen or heard about automatically, but they're not good at uh, adjusting for things that they don't see.
3: Like COVID particles. And Fishhoff says that when we can't see that risk, we need someone to calculate the risk for us, to make it really clear what the boundaries are. But Fischhoff says that message hasn't been clear. Is it safe for me to meet my friends if they just got tested for COVID and they're negative? What if they had the virus and aren't contagious anymore? Could they get it again? How does the new variant play into that? How do I know which vaccine will be the most effective for me? The answers to these questions are, for the most part, out there, if you know where to look. But if you don't, or if you're not motivated, then navigating risk can be really tricky.
0: It's easy to criticize people for making bad decisions. And there certainly are people who are confused. There are people who are irresponsible and don't care about other other people but there are people who are making really poor choices out of ignorance rather than out of stupidity or, or or malice.
3: Yeah, maybe my roommate is just working off of bad information. She probably didn't realize the risk of having a small party and probably thought she was being really safe about it. But here is the kicker. She's planning a birthday party for herself this coming weekend. It was time for the talk. Okay. So I'm basically recording this, it's like 3.50 on Monday, January 25th, and I have not talked to my roommate yet. What you're hearing is me psyching myself up before I talk to her. (sighs) My heart is beating really fast. (sighs) I hate confrontation. I hate confrontation so much. Okay, but come on, like, you gotta grow a pair. Come on. Or like, I don't know, the feminist version of that phrase, but yeah. Okay, here's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say, hey, look, I just wanted to be clear with you that I totally understand that you wanna celebrate for your birthday. I I get it, I totally get it. But it makes me uncomfortable. The talk didn't go smoothly. I didn't record the conversation. The resolution is that there is no resolution. The... (sighs) God, I'm really frustrated. I feel like crying. Um, basically, my roommate became incredibly defensive and she said that she doesn't see the difference between going outside to the grocery store and exposing myself that way versus having friends in the house who are like very careful and like haven't gotten COVID. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but basically, we each have a different understanding of how the virus works and how we're assessing risk. And it was getting frustrating for me to go rounds and rounds with someone who just wasn't seeing my side. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I decided to turn to an expert in mediation, Karen Lipney. She works for a conflict resolution center called Community Boards. Lipney says since the pandemic started, they've been getting the most calls from tenants and landlords.
0: Some of them are about security deposits and things, but most of them are about situations just like you're describing.
3: So what do I do? So let's say you have a house meeting
0: and you wanna have a group agreement. We're gonna be civil, we're not gonna interrupt each other. If we come to agreements, we'll all write them down. And if we find that we need a third party assistance, we all agree that we're gonna go find some third party help.
3: I wasn't able to use a lot of this advice because it's kinda too late. But here's one thing. As much as I want to place the blame solely on Neha, I have to be honest. In November, I traveled home to Georgia for Thanksgiving. In the fall, I used to invite friends over for dinner. In the summer, I started dating, taking my mask off outside to share a meal. We've been inside for so long, and we crave human interaction. And while I don't agree with how my roommate wants to cope with that right now, I can understand it. So. I've booked an Airbnb to stay isolated and safe this weekend. And for what it's worth, Neha offered to help pay for it. For The California Report,
1: I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. COVID-19 has spread like wildfire inside a jail north of Sacramento that also holds immigrant detainees. Now, about half of all the people locked up there have tested positive for the virus. KQED's immigration reporter Farida Javala Romero spoke with one of them. He's a 20-year-old asylum seeker, and he's been fighting to improve
5: conditions inside. Juan José Eraso Herrera says life was unbearable for him in his home country of El Salvador. He called me from inside the Yuba County Jail to tell me how he wound up there. He says growing up, he was abused and abandoned by his parents. As a teenager, gangs beat him and threatened to kill him. If he stayed, he says, it would have been like a death sentence. But he had a brother in the U.S., so he fled El Salvador and made the journey north, through Guatemala and Mexico, basically on his own, with no money. He was 16 when he crossed the southern border and ended up at a government shelter for unaccompanied migrant kids that finally released him to his brother in New York. But he was involved in a robbery, stealing a classmate's cell phone, and Juan Jose served time in a juvenile facility.
4: Cada momento me siento arrepentido, eh, lo he pagado, y pues, he aprendi, aprendido muchos errores de, de todo esto que he vivido. He says
5: he often regrets that mistake, but that he's learned from it and paid for it. After he finished his juvenile sentence, he was sent to a California facility for minors. When he turned 18, I sent him to the Yuba County
4: Jail.
5: He says he wants an opportunity to show he's changed. When COVID first hit, Juan Jose was worried he and others at the jail were vulnerable. He says it was impossible to socially distance and they lacked good medical care. So he put himself out there and became an advocate. He went on three hunger strikes to try to get officials with Immigration and Customs Enforcement and the Yuba Jail to do more to protect them. He also became part of a lawsuit to force ICE to release detainees to allow for more social distancing inside.
0: One of the things that most impresses me about him is that despite the fact that he has just never been able to catch a break in life, and yet he still has this really generous heart where he wants to help other people.
5: Kelly Wells is Juan Jose's attorney. She's with the San Francisco Public Defenders Immigration Unit. She says the lawsuit led to a federal judge in San Francisco ordering the release of more than 50 detainees from Yuba. That didn't prevent a COVID outbreak from hitting the facility last month. The judge then ordered weekly testing for detainees and for ICE to ensure that staff cleans and disinfects cells before people are moved there. But still, more than 120 county inmates and nine ICE detainees, including Juan Jose, have tested positive.
4: Yo no podía respirar, y sangre.
5: Juan José says he had difficulty breathing and was coughing blood. Guards isolated him in a small concrete cell with no windows. When he first got there, he felt like crying.
4: He says the toilet
5: was disgusting. The walls were moldy. The bed was covered in dust, trash, and other people's hair.
4: Super como que nunca la habían limpiado.
0: And we've heard consistently from every single detainee who has been moved since the order that they have arrived to filthy cells um, that clearly hadn't even been cleaned, much less disinfected.
5: Juan Jose says he was kept in that cell alone, 22 hours per day, for 12 days. ICE's own policy says medical quarantine must be different from punitive segregation. But Juan Jose says he felt he was being punished. He was so depressed, he says, he thought about killing himself. An ICE spokesman says he can't comment because of pending litigation involving the Yuba facility. Juan Jose's lawyer, Kelly Wells, says immigrants have given up and agreed to be deported after just one month at the Yuba jail. But Juan Jose has endured three years there as he pursues asylum because he's afraid of returning to El Salvador. For me, what's really crushing about his case
0: is I started representing him when he
5: was just
0: 18 years old and I've watched him grow up in Yuba County Jail. Um, And now he's lost so many um, experiences that you should have as a teenager because he's been stuck in this dismal jail.
5: But recently, Juan Jose got some good news. A state court granted him special immigrant juvenile status for young immigrants who've been abused by a parent and for whom it's not in their best interest to return to their home country. The status is not enough to get him out of detention, but it opens the door for him to apply for a green card.
4: Eso es lo que me da fuerza, me da
5: that chance gives him hope, he says. Juan Jose dreams that when he eventually leaves the detention center, he'll go to school, work, and one day start a program that supports young undocumented migrants like him. For The California Report, I'm Farida Yavala-Romero.
1: The good news is people are starting to get vaccinated in California, and when you talk to people who've been able to get the shot, you can almost hear the glee in their voice. It's like they made it to home base safely. Okay,
2: almost there. Very exciting.
1: That's the senior editor of our show, Victoria Maleon. Her parents are in their 80s and they live with her. And she recorded herself dropping them off to get the vaccine in San Francisco this week.
6: Hey guys! All right,
2: all right. looking
1: Good forward. luck! this nightmare. So exciting! Oh my
6: God! Hi! I can't wait.
1: But not all seniors have been able to get the shot. A lot of people have been on hold for hours trying to get an appointment for themselves or for their parents. My mom, for example, hasn't been able to get an appointment in LA and she is over 75 and has compromised lungs. Governor Newsom's new supposed fantastic thing. And I know they're all trying to do the best they can, but if you go on the the state website or the new one he just announced, my turn, that's the one he just announced. Did you try that? I've been on it many times already. I've been really worried about her, and I've been talking to her over Zoom as she tries to navigate the websites to figure out where she can get the shot. There's, there's no appointments because there's no vaccine. I mean, what about going to Dodger Stadium? Everybody's getting it there. There are no appointments at Dodger Stadium either, Sasha. There aren't. It says there are vaccines there, and you get on it, and it says, oh, but they're only for the second dose. And my mom is tech savvy. She's got a computer and she's got good internet. So it's even more of a challenge for people who don't have those things to figure out how to get a vaccine. To help us unpack where we stand with the vaccine rollout here in California, I want to turn to Leslie McClurg. She's the science reporter for KQED, where we produce the California Report. Hey there, Leslie. Hello. So... Give us any insight. Why has the vaccine rollout been such a mess and so confusing for so many people here in California?
7: So I think if you're going to do any finger pointing, then the finger can be pointed at the federal level this is a fail from the top down throughout the pandemic we have seen the federal government depend on local health departments to implement systems you know whether it was for testing or contact tracing or delivering PPE and here we are in a huge state with 58 counties who are all doing it in a very disconnected system who didn't really start working on this until really late fall until like November and december right around the time when we started to hear yeah the vaccine is getting a approved. Okay, now hurry up and let's get the vaccine supply chain, you know, organized and planned and put into practice. We really just ran out of time. Hmm. Well, of course, the big change announced this
1: week was the change to the tier system in terms of who's going to get the shot first. And they've really simplified it to make it so now age is the primary factor, not your job or other categories except There are a few exceptions, right, like teachers and farm workers, a few essential workers.
7: You know, the argument here is that if you make it age, it's a simpler system. It's just a number. And so therefore, it's very clear who can go and when to go. And because the state was fumbling so much to get the vaccines out quickly, and efficiently. They changed the system to hopefully make that possible. But it it does leave a lot of people out. And and it, it sort of scraps the idea of doing this in a really equitable system, which is what the state initially had really tried hard to do. So it sounds like, I mean, it really comes down to these competing
1: issues of fairness versus speed. Like, can we have a system that's efficient and fast? even if it's maybe not as equitable as originally intended, you know? And I just wonder what that means for younger frontline workers, like bus drivers or day laborers. I mean, people who have to go out there and be in the world, but may not fit the age tier.
7: I think we're in a bit of a tragic situation because yeah, those folks are, we know are spreading the virus. We have data on that, that they are at the highest risk and they are getting sick. And unfortunately, you know, they may... Take it home and spread it in multi-generational homes, and spread it to to older folks. But I think at this point, the argument is being made that we really just need to get as many shots in as many arms as fast as possible, and get it in the arms of people who you know are the oldest and the most vulnerable. But again, this many people are arguing that this is not the right way to do it, and that's why we started differently than what we're doing now.
1: Leslie, what about people with disabilities? I've been talking to some folks this week and hearing a lot of rage that they feel like with the new age-based prioritization, they're going to get left behind. I talked, for example, to disability rights activist Alice Wong. She's been on our show a number of times. She uses a ventilator in daily life, and she feels especially vulnerable because of her lungs. And she says she's just been counting the days until she could get the vaccine, and then hearing the news this week that she might not be prioritized in the 1C category was just devastating to her.
2: I am so angry, so sad, so scared, not just for myself, but for many of the people. In my community that I care about, I think a lot about very young disabled, chronically ill, and you people who could die before it's their turn to be vaccinated.
7: It's heartbreaking to read the stories from people who who feel like Alice and who have been really waiting anxiously to get the vaccine. I've talked to people who have cancer and people who have brain tumors, you know, who have been really isolated this last year because their systems are so vulnerable and they really need the vaccine to return their life to some kind of normal. And so this is a really tenuous situation based on a very limited supply. And unfortunately, with this new system, you know, the epidemiologist, Dr. Erica Pond, says it could be until June before our older folks are fully vaccinated. Those over age 65. So, to tell folks who are in this situation, who are you know disabled, or who have immunocompromised systems, who are highly vulnerable, um, that they are just supposed to wait it out is is a really big you know, kind of hit here, you know, there is an argument to be made that even those with disabilities may actually get their vaccine sooner. And my colleague, April Domboski has been reporting on this. And so those folks who are, say, you know, 50 or even maybe in their late 40s or something within this new age-based system, they may be able to get the vaccine sooner than they would have in the old system, simply because people like you and me, Sasha, you know, journalists and other essential workers have been kicked to the back of the line. And so now that we are are later in the line, those folks who are older may be able to get the vaccine. So that's a possibility. And we have heard rumors that this may change, that the state is reconsidering where those with disabilities land in line. And so this is a situation that is in flux.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so many of us have been looking forward to the vaccine as kind of the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, life getting back to normal. And it's been really disappointing to realize that even once we get vaccinated or say once our elders, our grandparents and parents get vaccinated, it doesn't necessarily
7: mean life's going to go back to normal right away. Unfortunately, I mean, yeah, I mean, so what we know is that the vaccine doesn't cause serious disease. That is what the pharmaceutical companies had to prove, is that their vaccine prevents serious disease. We don't know whether or not once you have your vaccine that you could still pass along the virus. We don't know about transmission yet. We hopefully will know soon. You know, that data is being gathered. But as of right now, we don't know. And so the advice to folks who have been vaccinated is still to keep doing all those pandemic Protocols like you know, wash your hands and and wear your mask and socially distance. And it's not really until viral levels and case levels really go down that we know the vaccine is working and there's not enough virus on the ground spreading that we can begin to return to normal. And experts are kind of targeting late this year, maybe early next year, for that to really unfold. So we're we're, we're in it for a while. Yeah, we just
1: it's a tough pill to swallow, but. Hopefully, hopefully things will speed up if we get a new, you know, more supply. God, I don't know what no, I to it, say. It's so oh,
7: depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it is. I, I, I do. I do want to. It is so depressing. But imagine if we didn't have a vaccine. At least mm-hmm. we have a light at the end of the tunnel. At least this came through. This is a total scientific miracle that we're in this place. I know everyone wants it to be this quick snap. Um, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So that is good news. Leslie McClurg is a science reporter for KQED.
1: And finally, we got a note this week from some regular listeners to our show, Priyanka Prasad and Mayank Gupta. They wanted to share this poem from their daughter, third grader Alina Gupta. It's called Hope During Pandemic.
2: Would you like to join us on our hunt for hope? will swing through the jungle on a COVID rope. But it is very hard to find, especially in these tumultuous times. And I have to say, we're quite behind, but we're still going to find hope. Now, to find hope, we need vaccines. We all have to take them, you and me. AstraZeneca, Moderna, and Pfizer. Also, wearing a mask and using hand sanitizer. Even though things may seem to get better, we still have to stay alert. We have to do our best to make sure no more people get hurt. We used to take everything for granted, like going on trips. But now we rarely do that, not that we have a choice. And we cannot open our lips, but we do have a voice. And until we can hug each other and see each other without Zoom, we have to keep holding on to hope even when we are just sitting in our rooms.
1: Nine-year-old Alina Gupta with her poem, Hope during pandemic. She says it came to her after watching the inauguration.
2: I had heard Amanda Gorman's poem at the inauguration about hope for America that really inspired me to find hope in my own words.
1: Alina goes to Oster Elementary in San Jose and says her teacher encouraged her to start writing poetry. Alina started reading her poems in public recently through Zooms put on by the Cupertino Library. And she's got some advice for our listeners.
2: It's good to stay positive and keep hope, but we have to be careful until we all can be vaccinated. And oh, ask for help if you need it.
1: And that's the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Leon is our senior editor. Our director is Amanda Font. Brendan Willard engineered our show. Hector Arsate is our intern. I'm Sasha Coca. Thanks for listening and for sending us your story ideas and your feedback. You can email us at calreport at kqed.org, or I'm on Twitter, kqed Sasha Koka. This is the California Report Magazine. Your state, your stories.